Any idea you have might be the most brilliant idea on earth. You might have all the data you need. You have all the stats and you have all the tools to analyze it and you have all the results you want from that data. You have the input, the process and the output. But if you don't have communication skills, you cannot make that output understandable to someone. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Artists of Data Science. Today, we've got a conversations episode where we get to hear from people who are doing interesting work, pursuing their dreams and adding value to the world. We're going to get inside their heads, see what makes them tick, and walk away with a new perspective that will help us in our journeys. These episodes are much less structured and formal than what you normally hear on the show. They're raw, unedited, unproduced for the most part. Thanks for tuning in. And I'd love to hear what you think about these episodes. Feel free to email me at theartistsofdatascience at gmail.com with your thoughts. Our guest today is a PhD candidate at the India Institute of Technology at Roorkee, working on the topic of diversity and inclusion in tourism and hospitality industry. She spends a significant part of her day playing violin, reading classics, and curating articles from leading media publications from all domains. She's also a polyglot with a love for learning new languages. She's recently learned to speak Korean and is currently working on learning German. And when she's not doing all that, she somehow manages to find time learning about intercultural communications in the Russian context. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me in welcoming Prachi Thakur. Prachi, how's it going? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I think um, it was an incredible welcome, I can say. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. No, that's my pleasure. I'm really excited to hear you talk about some of the work you're doing in uh, diversity and inclusion research, especially like in India. Um, before we get into that, talk to us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and what was it like there? Okay, so I grew up in Bihar and uh, the city I am from, that is city on a paper, but it is nothing like a normal city, I can say, because I have also lived outside of this uh, place a lot. So I'll, I'll give a little context about one of the conversation I was having, uh, you know, uh, doing with one of my uh, LinkedIn connections a few days ago, Damasia. And I was telling her about the concept of society and the concept of friendship and all the things we have at our place. And she was shocked to know that there is no concept of friends having a fun time at our place. So basically, you can say that it is a very, very reserved place. We are geographically located on India-Nepal border. So it is like 27, 28 kilometers, Nepal city, and quite retarded place, you can say. But yeah, uh, good people around gives, you know, wings to the dreams. So I, I completed uh, my 10th, you know, from here. And then I left my city. I went to Patna, which is the capital of Bihar. And uh, then I went to Pondicherry and life changed for me. So yeah, I, I grew up in Bihar. Uh, what, it. what happened in Pondicherry that changed life? Ah, okay. Uh, Pondicherry was, um, you know, what you say, like a pivot in my life. So uh, when I went there, I did not have, uh, I did not had interactions with so many of people because at, in Bihar and in, in my city, Sopal, uh, we have, we have very limited kind of people as in, uh, you know, you can say a certain kind of people, you will not see differences in people. So if there is anyone of like thirties, you'll see a person in thirties and you will see another person in thirties there will be very less difference. The language they speak, the way they dress and all those things. So there is diversity in terms of diversity. There is none. But when I went to Pondicherry, it was amazing. It was like I, every day I used to meet people who are different. Every other person was different. They're speaking different language, coming from a different state of India or even outside. And they were doing uh, different works and it was a sea of diverse people, diverse cultural languages, which opened the door for me of diversity. You know, that's where I started getting curious about this diversity. So that's why uh, Pondicherry uh, marks are important before and after in my life, if I can say that. And you talked about how you switched your your research from from one that you had studied initially into 
the diversity and inclusion based on some experiences you had while traveling. Uh, can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so I was a numbers person. In school, I was into maths. So I was all the time, I was like, okay, I am doing maths. I'll do my uh, you know, graduation in maths and then I'll do my post-graduation maths and then I'll do PhD in maths. That was solid. But I did not get admission in a mathematics graduate in BHU, not the university where I had plans to. So plans changed and I became an accounts person. Still a number thing. So I was into accounts and auditing. So I did my master's and bachelor's in accounting and auditing. But during my master's, as I said that, I, I came across diversity a lot, different kind of people. And there I met people who traveled. So I also started traveling more when I went to Pondicherry. And I went on an all-India trip with one of my friends, Islam. And uh, that experience of 43 days going around India and uh, meeting people, speaking different languages, speaking completely different culture of dressing, of understanding things of, um, you know, judging you. Even even judgment has different dimensions when you travel across a wide country and a diverse country like India. So those experiences triggered the curiosity I had in diversity. After that uh, All India trip, I went on many solo travels. And that experience I had of discrimination, you know, you, you go up at a hotel uh, you, uh, and your train was late and you go there and the person is charging you way above normal rate. And you understand why he is doing so, because he understands that the place is not very safe like, and you are a girl and you cannot you maybe cannot go at other places because it's like 9.30 or 10 p.m. in the night. So they have an advantage there that is basically just based on my gender or maybe age as well. So that was the first experience which shook me. Earlier, I was just curious, but now I wanted to, you know, like, okay, why? Why is this happening? Then I, since I, I count myself as a very talkative person, so while I was, you know, uh, traveling al alone, I also was talking to other people, other female travelers. So in, in the common, uh, in hostels, we have these common spaces where people, you know, meet and talk uh, in, a, in a tourist hostels. So I understood that that discrimination which I faced was not only my problem, that is the problem of whole industry. And it was rather ironic because according to which I later realized, because in hospitality, majority of workforce is female, especially in countries like India, because, you know, they have, they have to devote a long hour of time and they can pay less to women. So it was rather ironic due to that. So yes, that's what, uh, you know, intrigued me much more than I thought. And I decided to switch my area from accounting to diversity, specifically into hospitality. That's really, really interesting. That's quite the journey. And I mean, I'm also obviously Indian and I don't know if it's the same way in India as it is with Indian parents in America, but they always say there's only like three career paths, right? The doctor, lawyer, engineer, and maybe business or whatever, right? Was it the same thing over there? And if so, what were your parents' reaction when you decided to switch into this other uh, course of study? Uh, yes. In one word, yes. Uh, my parents were, yes, normally like, okay, you can either take, you know, engineering, you can become a doctor or you can, you know, do nothing. It was as simple as that. And being a girl from Bihar means you have three options. You can become a doctor, you can become an engineer, or you can get married. So, uh, but my parents were different. In one word, it was yes, but it was a little more complicated than that. More because it was me. I, mm, I don't really have a very uh, good obeying kind of thing in my family. I'm, I'm, you know, you can count me as rebel person in the family. Younger one, you can say. So uh, I had the thing sorted that I do not understand physics. So I am definitely not going in engineering. And uh, since I don't understand physics, I'm anyway not going to attract medical because, you know, they ask it in the examination. So I was like, okay, I can do maths. That's the only thing I'm good at. So I had the thing that, okay, uh, I wanted to become an RJ because I was talking and people were always telling me that you talk, you talk, you talk. So I wanted to continue talking. So I did become an RJ for some time, but then I was more serious about PhD. So they were fine with it, but I can't say 100%. Till I got an IIT, they were unsure about 
own career choices till I got into IIT and the brand of IIT was a little overpowering for them as well. So yeah, they came around. So when you told them that this, the, the reason you wanted to pursue this course of study was because of the experiences you had, were they kind of understanding of that? Or were they just like, oh, that's just how it is in India? Like, why are you trying to shake up the system or, or anything like that? To be honest, I did not tell them the, uh, about my course of study. Uh, they came to know about it l- later because my mother, till uh, got, I got enrolled in IIT and I was, I think, six months into my coursework. And then she came to know that I'm, I'm doing it in hospitality and tourism, which basically like diversity falls in HR. So she was like, okay, you are doing in HR? When did you do this? Because one thing, as you rightly mentioned, they would not understand. I don't know if I judged them bad, but I was um, at a point of time when I was taking admission, I was mentally very, you know, uh, prepared for doing something. And I did not want, you know, uh, that Indian heart you have that your parents say no to something and you get swayed by that emotion. So I did not want that. So uh, I don't know whether it's a good or bad thing that I did and that I did something and then I told them. So I did not tell them before. So I don't know if they would have been understanding, but I think they would not be like, what, what will you do? Like, this is how the world has been running. So so what's, what's your kind of topic? Like, so you're talking about diversity and inclusion in tourism and hospitality. Like, do you have like a, like a particular topic that you're researching in that? Or is that like the, the particular topic itself? Uh, no, uh, the area is diversity and, um, you know, inclusion. Yeah. But my topic is diversity training. Okay. So when I, when I have to explain this to people, like well, anyone for that, I just tell them that it is a training where you teach people or you coach people how to be less weird. So that's what it is. You train people how to be less weird. I like that. That's a good training program. (laughs) Thank you. So like, what's the change that you hope to make through this, uh, this work that you're doing, like the long-term impact you're hoping to have? Okay, for answering this question, I think I'll, I'll uh, you know, mention one of the LinkedIn stories I, I shared about me having tattoos. So what happens that when a female travels, since I told you that my area is diversity training, I'm focusing on women travelers and how to tell people to be less weird around women travelers. So that's how I coach people. And so what happened that I have tattoos and they are at visible places, you know, hands and uh, nape and those things so people judge which is not a very i don't know sadly fact of my life so when you i go to a you know a hostel or a hotel i don't want people to judge me on the basis of my looks i am just a guest to them so i should be treated as a guest if they would respect a man there or anyone there i'm not just talking about man and woman i just want to make it normal that a guest is a guest a woman a transgender a man irrespective of that you have to have certain professional boundaries certain professional guidelines which you obey which you go by which you you know have to for any guest and to treat any guest it should be just that set of rules now the thing is people get confused when i talk about everyone but then i am why am i focusing on women the thing is the moment women enters in the space dynamics change, the rules change, because we want little more security about little more, you know, our kind of people. In India, there are definitely mixed gender hostels as well. But majority of women traveling prefer to have same gendered rooms, you know, uh, eight women in that same room. So if there is something like that, we would want little more security, little more privacy, and not too much wiggling around, which generally is the complaint of every woman traveling around here. And this I'm talking from a statistics. I have, you know, collected narratives of many women. I have been interviewing for my PhD. So I want that this is space which is traveling should be safe for all of us. I'm talking more about women because we have been, you know, disadvantaged, you can say, you know, lagging behind. Just to give you a, you know, a view about how lagging it has been, the research focusing on solo female travelers started around the late 1990s. So before that, the concept of solo female traveling was there, but it was more of a rebel thing. So in, in social science, when we, when we are researching this, female traveling, we also focus on the psychological domain we have in society that women 
should not travel. Now, no one directly says that. that you know what? You're a woman. You're not supposed to travel. No one directly says that. But you know, every second woman, every second girl, every second lady has this pressure. If you travel, who will take care of the kids? If you will travel, what will your husband eat? If you will travel, what will people think? And all these things. And this thing does not happen in case of men. So this is the long-term impact I'm planning to make to normalize this dimension of traveling and to make it safer for women and to make the experience equal. If men go on tours, they feel happy. Women should also go on tours and feel happy. They should not get sexually harassed in the way that they are left traumatic for life. So that's awesome, yeah, that's, that's, that's a long-term impact. That is super, super powerful. Thank you for sharing that. So what do you think like what could what could we as men do to help in this mission like what what message would you have for the men out there to help you in your mission like what what can we do to help help make this change first of all thank you so much here i am i am i'm uh, being representative of every solo female travelers uh, like solo female traveler so thank you so much for asking questions because this is one of the most misunderstood concept that diversity and inclusion should happen from the gender it is supposed to be for. But the thing is, everyone has a part to play. Now, the thing is that the question you asked, how you men can play, a very crucial thing is, you know, being an accomplice. So I'll, I'll share, uh, you know, a small story which I collected f- uh, during my data travel. I will not reveal the name. So the lady was 53 years old. She was from Spain and uh, she was sharing her story when she was traveling uh, in Sri Lanka. And uh, this was during a trek she had. So since she was traveling alone, and by the way, she's a professor of OB, like organizational behavior. So she was sharing that uh, during the trek upwards, like the up trek, uphill hike, it started raining and uh, majority of people were in groups and either in couples. Though, so they took shelter with, you know, Um, uh, their own uh, people she was alone so she was just um, standing by a rock and the tour guide the hike uh, guide uh, was like okay let me help you okay Uh, she was like okay that's nice that's that's a good hospitality but he sexually harassed that lady now people often complain about like this uh, age and all these things i i don't really think that matters Uh, it's just about gender and misconceptions and people to be more size. So I think that if it happened in an open space, it is, it is a hike. There is one trail which is going upwards. Then there were so many men who either have seen that happening or must have heard her cry. So when you are in the space, something bad is happening. I expect that people will come for help. And that is the first, and like, it's like the first aid you can do for injury. The first aid. Second thing is a lot about, you know, how you behave with women when you travel, because it does leave impact, you know, in, in general, if, if you're meeting people and you're treating them, you're asking them weird questions. One time this one guy was asking me, I, I was in the train and he was asking, you're, you're traveling alone? I'm like, Yes. How, how do your parents allow that? So these kind of questions might seem normal, but you know, these are not normal. These are, you know, segregating questions. You are segregating a whole gender on why a person needs permission and the other does not. So as men, you can be more uh, empathetic in treating them as you treat your male friend. So I think that will be a very good support. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's really, it's really insightful to to see it from your perspective, right? Because I think a lot of men obviously don't have a woman's perspective because we're not women. But this, this, uh, <laughs> I can understand this kind of harassment. I guess it it's not only limited to like in person contact, right? It could happen when you're online, for example. Let's say on LinkedIn, for example. That's how how we connected. So, is it like what 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 advice would you give to men out there who are thinking of sending a message to somebody on LinkedIn that might be inappropriate? Like you know, like I'm sure you've probably had experiences with this as well. Yes, thank you for that question. Uh, I was I was feeling <laughs> laughing on that, and I don't know. It is it is really irony why I felt like laughing because it is a horrible thing which happens. And as you actually pointed out, I did have experiences of 
LinkedIn slash Tinder. I don't know. Sometimes it is like I keep commenting on, uh, you know, these kind of posts because it really like boggles me a lot why and how people can comprehend or confuse LinkedIn as Tinder. Like, you know, the font is different, the color is different, the themes are different. And people are talking about their success instead of, you know, their height, weight and all those things. So uh, I don't think first things first, I think that all men should be really, really, you know, uh, uh, understanding of the fact that if you want to date, if you want to approach a woman, if you want to say something inappropriate, there is no platform for that. But um, if you want to say something which might be unprofessional, LinkedIn is not the place. LinkedIn is not the place to ask someone what they are wearing and how did they spend the night and uh, if they would like to... Uh, you know, connect the touch bases. I do not think <laughs> that LinkedIn is the place for that. I know that people hearing this might judge me. To might I? I might. I have around two thousand followers now, and I'm so thankful for that. But um, honestly, I, I'm. I'm. As I say this, I am little worried that maybe maybe just maybe my message will be like you know you're objectifying men and these things the thing is not all men are like that i have had amazing connections meaningful connections like for example like us we connected we share books we talk about the books we are reading we share resources for my growth since uh, you know you you have you have a lot of experience in podcast and you keep talking to these amazing people on your so you share so many things and I, I share some things which I know and I have had connections with amazing people, amazing professors from my area, from other areas and, uh, you know, students who are younger than me, you know, graduating, but they share amazing content and I connect with them and I get to learn so much. On, on a personal level, I'm, I'm learning a lot and I'm sure this is common for so many people. But then there are these kind of people who confuse it for Tinder. And I think that if I check my block list, I don't know how to check block list on LinkedIn, to be honest. But I think I must have had 100, if not less, people in my block list. Majority of them sent me on inappropriate messages, some of them inappropriate pictures. And I do not know which post of mine people always blame that, you know, we ask for it kind of thing. But I do not know which story of mine asked for it. So I think men should understand this, that we really respect you. We really respect the, everyone. But the moment you cross your boundaries, gender is up in there. No matter who you are, no matter which age you are. And, uh, and you know, one weird thing I'll tell you. It's really disturbing to think that people in power can also do that. You know, uh, you think that people in power will be sensible. People in power will be, you know, um, supporting you. Sometimes they do. Majority of the people I have come across, they do. But then there are some which, you know, take down the name of literally everyone in the compartment. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I'm seconding everything you're saying. Like that's super important not to be inappropriate. And there's like certain etiquette that you need to practice when you're on a platform like LinkedIn that is meant for communications to help each other grow. And like, if you're going to send a message to a stranger, first of all, make it respectful. Right. And don't just say, hey, or hi, or hello. Right. If you're going to message somebody, at least put some substance behind what it is that you're you're saying um because like like I, I can't tell you how many hundreds of messages i get a week and it simply just says hi herbert hey oh man I, okay hi like <laughs> i got things to do man like i can't just hit high back and and small talk so yeah definitely be respectful and just make sure that whatever message you are sending serves a purpose right um, definitely it is it is like um yeah that high thing one thing um i i um you must have noticed in my linkedin profile i also have mentioned that i i coach people for communication uh in my free time so one thing which i which i mention when i coach people about professional communication is to not sound like you are texting on whatsapp because what do we do on WhatsApp and our private networks is like, hi, because we want to check whether that person is available or not. And then the text high back, as you mentioned. So 
LinkedIn is not the place to do that. Unless you are really, really familiar with that person and you have a really personal bonding and you talk about all the random things. I don't think, hi, hello, Harpreet, as people send you and hi, Prachi, you've got a nice name people send to me. So I've got one extra sentence, you, know, you see. So, uh, uh, so yes, uh, that is not the place to begin. If you are sending someone a message, a connection request, there are so many people talking about uh, you know, personalized request on LinkedIn. While I don't really, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm a very big advocate of that, but I think that when you accept, when you become a connection and you want to talk, have some basics research, have some basic research done. Don't text hi, Prachi. Your name is nice because I already know that. That's a good one. So talk, talking about communication skills, right? Why do you think it's so challenging for people to, I mean, I don't mean to generalize, but you know, analytical thinkers or, or numbers type of people who are very in, very much in STEM fields, a little good chunk of them um, seem to not have developed communication skills along the way. Why do you think that is? I have, uh, I'll, I'll give you one of the very, you know, relevant reference I have here. One of, one of my friends, I'm working in a startup and one of my friends there, she is an, you know, uh, she's an aviation PhD scholar. So all her life she has been, you know, in mechanics and data and all those things. But she always says that she feels that she can, is not able to communicate her ideas. So as a person who is, you know, uh, in touch with her a lot and as a person who has been, you know, advocating communication since really long, I think communication is a very important part of a person's life. Now, that's not a very, you know, brand new information referring friends. But I think that any idea you have might be the most brilliant idea on earth. You might have all the data you need to, you know, analyze it and prove it right or prove it wrong or do things with it. You have all the stats and you have all the, all the tools to analyze it and you have all the results you want from that data. You have the input, the process and the output. But if you don't have communication skills, you cannot make that output understandable to someone. I'll give you a little spin-off reference here. So my father and my mother are not from a research background. So if I talk to them what I precisely do, as I mentioned that I always define diversity as a coaching for not being weird, because if I talk in, you know, jargons, if I talk that, you know what, my PhD comprises of diversity training, resource commitment, and competency development, my parents are not going to understand that. And anyone from not from research background will not understand that. So I am doing amazing work. Like that was not a statement. But yes, if I am doing amazing work with my data and if I am having a groundbreaking research, which is going to you know, change the world and let's say all the exaggerated things. But if I cannot communicate it to my client, the person in front of me, no matter who that is, that can be my daughter, five years old, or that can be my grandfather, 75 years old. I don't think I did the work because a very uh, you know, crucial prerequisite of good communication is understanding. So if you understood it in jargons, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to spell out jargons. I can't talk about, you know, I can't tell that, you know what, for competency development, I, I regressed the data I collected for diversity training. I regressed it over that and, you know, I did an ABC thing and mediated moderation, moderated mediation. That just be, you know, crap for anyone in my circle who is not dealing with data. Yeah, I like that. Being able to explain it in simple terms. I had the same thing with my parents. They didn't understand what the hell it was that I did. Like, why are you going to school to study math? Like, getting a graduate degree in math for what? Like, they didn't understand it. I guess I didn't even understand it at that point. Why I was studying? Well, like, <laughs> I, I studied. Interesting. Yeah, well, I studied math because I initially I wanted to become an actuary. That was like what I wanted to do: go into actuary and then become a predictive modeler. And then predictive modeling got rebranded as like machine learning and data science in in recent years. And I tried to explain to my parents what what 
what I do. They just, nobody, nobody fucking gets it. And luckily there was a documentary. Oh man, I can't remember the name of the documentary. I think it was called Prediction by Numbers. And it was on, um, I think it's on Amazon Prime, Prediction by Numbers. And I made them sit down okay. and watch this documentary. I was like, this pretty much describes what it is that I do. Okay, and, okay. Yeah. So, so do they understand it now? Probably not, but um, at least they have <laughs> some idea. Uh, <laughs> That's high five there. So, because yes, my parents do know that I'm working something about diversity, something about people and something about tourism and hospitality. But they don't really know yeah, what the topic is and all those nitty gritties. So high five. Yeah, like my first undergraduate degree was in economics and they didn't understand why I wanted to study economics. <laughs> like, what is, is that like accounting? Is is that what economics is? Is that kind of like accounting? I'm like, uh, maybe if you think about it abstractly enough, it's a little bit about accounting. Yeah, that's, I can, I can hear Indian parents talking. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, because they have this habit of grouping subjects. So biotechnology is science, maths is science, physics is science, social science is not science. So they just group everything. Yeah, it's but, like a, it's almost like a you know the generational language barrier. And speaking of language barriers, I saw a post of yours on LinkedIn talking about your language dilemma. Tell us about this language dilemma that you have been going through. So I started uh, I was born in a you know methylly speaking family so my language my first language is methylly which is a regional language of Bihar so uh, I grew up speaking methylly being my first language Hindi being my second language and English being my third language but I also learned speaking Sanskrit in school because we are you know religious family so a lot of holy texts were just lying around here and there in the house it still is same so the curiosity of learning sanskrit so i learned four languages before i graduated school so i could speak english i could speak sanskrit hindi and mathri when i went to pondicherry i started learning the languages there which were which were malayalam and tamil and uh, malayalam is said to be one of the most difficult languages but i don't know how i i don't know maybe it was just after crypt I started learning it really fast. Like in one month, I don't know anything. From next month, I can make broken sentences. So I can understand Malayalam now. Like I can watch movies without subtitles. I can navigate my, you know, life in Tamil. So Pondicherry was a Tamil speaking state. So that is how this language dilemma started. That how do you identify as, you know, uh, the language of the heart? People say that, you know, you think in your own language. I don't remember thinking in Methali ever in my life. When I think, it is always in English. And even that, I don't know, know when it started. I can't pinpoint a day that, you know, what? In 2006 was the year or January was the month or something like that. So that language dilemma has, uh, you know, sometimes it's weird because sometimes it's uh, different with me. And sometimes I just, it's, it's just plain weird because the new languages I learn, I start thinking of reactions in those languages. So a few days back, I was talking to one of my friends and uh, he was talking about his struggle that, you know, he was um, having... Uh, with his work and everything. So in Korean, there is a word ca called whiting. So which means, okay, let's let's do it. We'll do it. We'll. So that word whiting is more of like a support word. It literally translates to let's do it. But it is also used in case when you say, want to say show support that you know what, we can do this together or we will get out of this situation. So it has many different, you know, uh, usages. So out of nowhere, he, he, he speaks to me in English because his native language is Malayalam. So I'm like, whiting. And he was like, what? And it was like, I could not, I was like, okay, that was a Korean word. Then I had to explain it to him. So this dilemma has been, you know, there around there because I can't pinpoint on one language that I identify most as because I've got tattoos in Japanese. I, I learned Korean. I'm learning Russian and German. I understand so many of Indian languages. Bengali, I can understand fully. Oriya, I can understand. I can understand Malayalam. I, can, I speak English. I speak Hindi and I speak Mathili. So it's like a pool of languages and 
sometimes when you want to react it it's more like if i can say right now it just hit my mind that if i can say this dilemma is more like a paradox of choices so when you are in a situation you want to react you have like so many languages and every language has their own expression word so for some time you are lost which one to choose it does give you freedom of getting the best out of but it does confuse you so yes it's a paradox of choices that's really interesting so are you able to like can you tease out from language like which culture you identify with most like do you culturally just identify as your region of Bihar, where you're from, uh, or are you more of like, I'm just all Indian? No, this is again, a, uh, you know, a question of confusion, because uh, since I'm learning a lot about different cultures across the world, I think I identify more culturally appropriate as Russian or an Italian, which Domizia told me recently about. And I'll tell you why I identify as culturally as Russian, because Russians have uh, punctuality, in office space and uh, even in personal spaces. But uh, yes, as I mentioned that in more of a, you know, uh, social settings, they don't really obey it. But I really am a punctual person. So if you tell me to be at 7.30, I'll be there at 7.28. It's never 7.31. For me, I don't know how I got it because we have, uh, like Indians have a very infamous stereotype of being really, really late. And uh, I don't identify as that. And then there is the concept of, um, you know, being straightforward. Russians will tell you things at your face. In professional setting, then again, I'm polite. I'll make a sandwich, you know, good, bad, and good. But in uh, you know, personal setting, if you're a friend and you're being weird, I'll just tell you, you know, you're being weird. Which majority of people, Indians especially, are not used to like that. They're like, I've always heard this, that you are very rude. You don't know how to talk to people. It is like I was culturally misfit here. And I don't know where did I learn that because uh, none of my parents are like that. They're super, super polite people. My brother is super, super polite, but I am like really, really straightforward. So if a um, few days back, my mother got a new piece of sari and she was like, is this looking good? I'm like, no, the prints are really wide and I don't like you. And then she had this face that, okay, it's my sari. You don't get to get the opinion. In this. And I'm like, why did you ask that? So, you know, I could have simply said that, you know what, this looks awesome, but I didn't do that. So I think I'm culturally fit for Russian society. Then again, about Italian society, I think I fit more because I talk a lot. So the other day I was talking to Domizia and I thought that I was cutting her sentences. So for being polite, I say that, you know, Domizia, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I think I'm talking. And she said that, no, no, that's perfectly fine. Our society is like that. We Italians chat a lot. And there is, uh, it's, it's unusual that two people sitting on a dinner table don't talk. So people don't talk in Italy. We give them more space so that they can open up. And I'm like, I am born at a really, really wrong place. So, yeah. That's interesting with that, like, because you're not fixed to one identity, so to speak. So you don't become so dogmatic about one particular train of thought, one particular way of thinking, right? And being like, so for me, for example, right, my mom was born and raised in, in the Fiji Islands, right? So ethnically, yes, my, both my parents are Punjabi ethnically. My mom was raised Fiji Islands, came to California when she was like 17. My dad, born and raised in Punjab, they got married when he was in Fiji and came to California, right? So my dad, pure Punjabi, speaks Punjabi. My mom speaks this really weird Hindi type of language that apparently, it, it apparently like it resembles the the Hindi that is spoken in Bihar, apparently, I'm not sure, but um, then my grandma speaks Punjabi as well. So I grew up speaking this really weird blend, like not not well by any chance. I didn't speak this <laughs> well, but yeah, some Punjabi, Fiji, Hindi combination. Um, but then I, I don't identify as like, I don't identify as either Punjabi or Fijian. I don't even identify as American. I identify strictly as Californian. Like that is my identity. I am a Californian through and through. Um, just okay, so you'll have to give me more context about what Californian, like how do you, how do I, you know, like uh, set sectors that, okay, this, 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 tick this, and you are a Californian. I think it's just the mentality, the way of life, the way of thinking, the California state of mind, right? Like I, I think everybody, <laughs> everybody who grew up in California has a certain something to them. Like I could hear somebody talk and I'll be able to tell like, oh shit, that guy's from California. Like we were in my wife and I went to um, 
we're in Australia, just random place in Sydney, Australia. And I heard some guy talking to somebody over the counter. I was like, oh, I bet you that guy's from California. Watch. And I was like, hey, where are you from? He's like, oh, California. I was like, yeah, see, I can tell. It's just the way people talk. There's a certain accent, a certain element to the way they speak. And I think that's shared amongst maybe more so Northern Californians than all of California. But but it has become such a part of my identity. Like I have it tattooed. I have a California like mural tattooed all over my arm. Um, but I mean, obviously now I live in Canada and, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit, uh, different here. And I don't know why I went off on that tangent, but like my wife, for example, she is born and raised in Canada, but she speaks Punjabi like perfectly, like a hundred year old grandma would speak Punjabi. Like she speaks it absolutely perfectly. <laughs> and I, I really hope she hears you telling her that she's hundred years old and <laughs> no, I feel like a dinner tonight. <laughs> she's definitely not a hundred years old, but. But she has a uncle who is just like so, so narrow minded and dogmatic about being Punjabi. Like we're Punjabi, we speak oh. Punjabi. And he gets on me about like not speaking that great Punjabi. And I'm like, man, like, relax, man. Like, yeah. relax. Like, you don't speak that great English and you've been here for 40 years. You don't hear me talking shit. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you judge me, I judge you back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, that was an interesting uh, turn of conversation there. So uh, let's, let's talk real quick about, um, about this, this fear story you recently wrote. Talk to us about that. Yeah, that is scary story. Uh, I think that, um, you know, I don't really believe like strict hard and fast in these uh, zodiac signs, but I'm a Libra. But so a one trait which I identify most being a Libra is being confused. So, and confused also be, may, may, you know, uh, means I'm, I'm scared before making any decision. I'm, I'm scared that, okay, should I do A? Should I do B? Should I, even in eating, like, should I eat A? Should I eat B? Should I eat like half A, half B? Something like that. So earlier, it was weird. Like when I was really, really young. I don't know. One thing which I resonated most with Pooja, when you were, you know, Pooja's son, you were talking to her. And the way she said that she had her goals and, you know, things were sorted really, really early in her life. I resonated with that most among all the people you have hosted. Because some things definitely in my life were really sorted really early, like doing PhD. I didn't even know how people do PhD when I had decided very firmly that I will do PhD. So this, uh, some of these things were not confusing. But then since I knew the goal, but I didn't know the path, it was confusing. I was scared that, okay, I know I have, you know, capacity to do it, but what if I fail? So there was one post on LinkedIn about my what if tree because I planted like real, real fast. You tell me one thing and I'll think about 10 things related to what if. So the day you texted me that, okay, you know what, let's meet and chat. And I'm like, okay, what if my internet is not good? What if I, I, I lose my data back in the middle of everything? What if the lighting is not good? What if the fan is not working? So there will be thousands of what if. Maybe some are insignificant, maybe some are significant. And that happens in case of career decisions as well. About, you know, choosing place to study and, you know, even dating a guy, something like that. But still, you know, you understand I'm talking about what could. Yeah. So it is confusing. So when it started getting on my nerves, then I decided, then I, then I started strategizing it. Let's write it down. What can be the worst possible outcome? The thing I coined WOP. So what is the worst that can happen? Let's say that, you know, everything gets messed up and things are really, really, really terrible. And I mapped out all the strategies and I mapped out all the situations in which it could be weight could go wrong, the degree to go wrong. And then I realized that I'm relatively more relaxed. And I, it's not like I don't get scared anymore. It is definitely a white lie if I say that. I get scared every single day or something. But they help a lot, you know, mapping out the worst possible outcome. So I don't really believe that you should not be scared and you can't be scared. You should believe in yourself. Yes, you should believe in yourself, but that does not go in sync that if you go in, if you believe in yourself, you won't be scared. That is not a linear relationship. I absolutely love that. Actually, I was interviewing very recently um, Annie Duke and Annie Duke wrote the book, Thinking in Bets and Thinking in Bets. That really, that book shook me to my core. It changed my worldview completely. And she also recently wrote a book, How to Decide, which uh, isn't released yet. But since I was interviewing her, I got my hands on a copy of that. Um, and in that book, the, the final chapter she talks about is the power of negative visualization. So the power of negative thinking, where you talk, where you walk yourself through all these worst possible outcomes so that if they occur, 
okay, great. You were prepared for it. You had contemplated that this would actually occur anyways. Uh, it's interesting because the, so uh, in, in Stoicism, there's a bit of a, uh, it's, it's Stoicism of philosophy, ancient philosophy. And in that philosophy, they have this practice called premeditation of adversity, right? Where you think through all the bad things that could happen in your situ- in, in a given situation, not because you're trying to be defeatist or not because you, you know, if you think about bad things are going to happen. No, it's for you to, to think about what could possibly happen and how will I react? How will I counteract these measures? So that's actually a very powerful thing that you're doing with that worst possible outcome. And when I saw that, I was like, oh shit, that's just really interesting. You're really going to enjoy this, uh, this book, How to Decide, because it's all about, literally you're talking about like what if trees and decision trees and weighing uh, future outcomes, right? Um, you're you're gonna enjoy it. Um, but yeah, thanks so, so much. I just wrote it down. Yeah, check it out. Definitely. Um, thinking in bets, and then how to decide, and then I'll have the interview with Annie Duke at, at some point, might be before or after I release this episode. Um, but last formal question before we jump into a random round. Uh, so it's a hundred years in the future. What is it that you want to be remembered for? For my talking. All right. That is one simple answer. I really want to tell great stories and. Uh, about my work, about about everything else, but I really want to be remembered as a great talker. <laughs> I don't know if that is a thing or if that is a category or if it is too general. I don't know. I just want to be talking. That would be podcasting. So yeah, definitely record your Yes, that and, too. <laughs> and put it out there. So talking about your tattoos, which one do you regret the most? None of them. Really? Yes, none of them. Unlike majority of people who get tattoos, especially in uh, my age, I can tell my age, I'm, I'm 23. So yes, uh, in my age, people people do instant things. You know, they one morning they wake up and they're like, okay, I want to get a tattoo. But my tattoos were a planned thing. I took the least amount of time I have taken in a tattoo was four months. So all of my tattoos have really really deep connection with me as a person so i don't regret any of them interesting because i've got several tattoos and i regret like at least 30 percent of them like these stupid ass stars that i have right here like what the fuck was i thinking man like why did i get this and then this like tiny little come down that says so what the, with the letters like why did i get this like so i was telling my wife i was like i want to you know like i want to cover these tattoos up get some bigger and she was like oh why don't you just remove them and i was like well if you remove them the that you could still see that there was a tattoo there. Um, but yeah, very Yeah, that would be more horrible than actually having a tattoo. Yeah, so I'm definitely planning on getting this entire arm like covered up with something. Um, and then I got uh-huh. like I got this like stupid dragon and I had the opportunity to cover it up, but I didn't cover it up. So I really regret that. Um, so yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing, one thing I, I really was actually, this is very intriguing for me because people often ask me, this question and I don't know why but now after uh, listening to you I think uh, there is a kind of person like a people category of people who regret their tattoos they're like okay Rachi you got tattoos fine what if one day you don't want them I'm like why would I get them when I know that I might not want them at some point in time but yes then you have stars so now I have, I think they are justified. That question is justified. Yeah. But unlike you, I did not think this through. Like I just got them. Like I was very much so like, I, I just woke up one morning. I was like, Oh yeah, I want to get stars on my biceps. And they were done in the bedroom of some apartment by some dude that was practicing on oranges before oh. he did me. It's a bad move. So, so where are you the guinea pig of tattoos? For the stars. Yeah. I mean, I guess I probably was. That's why one of them is like lopsided, not pointing the direction it should be. It was a bad, bad move. Um, but it'll be covered up. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm laughing. And yeah, I, I look forward to, you know, uh, seeing your covered lopsided stars. Yes. Yes. I'll make them something cool. So talk about uh, the random round here. Now we're, we're in it. I have a couple of questions before you jump into the random question generator. What song do you have on repeat? I have um, this song on repeat. Uh, uh, halka halka hai bhai, raat, uh, fateh I listen to that a lot. Oh, nice. It's an old school song. Do you listen to K-pop at all? Yes, I do. I recently started it and I like BTS. Just oh, nice. BTS. That's Not so all of the songs, but some of them. So my cousin, who's an intern for my artist of data science company, uh, she also uh-huh. loves K-pop and like her biggest fan group is uh 
that BTS group. And they have some cool songs. Yeah, I, I recently introduced myself to BTS since I was in K drama a lot. Like uh, during this pandemic, I think I must have watched somewhere around 30 to 35 K dramas. So I really invested a lot of time in Korean. Uh, so yeah, BTS is a new um, song list which has come in. But I don't know whether I'm a big fan or something, but I do listen to them. What do you believe that other people think is crazy? Girls can't do something like fit in that something with XYZ. That's simply crazy for me. Okay. That is an idea I really don't understand. It's weird. So so wait, so the the thing is so you believe that girls can do anything but it's other people who might think that that is crazy yes yes okay i dig it yeah if you can have a giant billboard put anywhere in the world what would you put on it uh, uh i will uh yeah so uh, you want me to put something i think i will put it up in front of my school i really want my physics teacher to see that i'm a good person he judged me a lot so your giant billboard would be placed in front of your physics teacher's classroom window Class- and it'd be just a picture of you and it says <laughs> Prachi is a good person. Uh, no, it will say that I'm awesome. <laughs> okay. So you don't let go of grudges, apparently. Uh, I'm sorry? I said you don't let go of grudges. It's not about grudges. I think uh, if he did to me and I was a person who told that he did the wrong thing. So I think he did that to many other people. And he mm. needs to understand that he cannot do that to the person because it mentally uh, affected me a lot. And I don't want that happening to anyone else in the world because teachers have a very, very much impact on students' mind. That's why I want to put, put my bill right in front of him. It's not about grudges. It's about telling him not to do it again. <laughs> I love it. So uh, on LinkedIn, people can like click on your name and get a soundbite to see how you pronounce your name. So you are Prachi, Chi as in Chipotle. How did that come about? Yes, uh, because I could not, uh, I don't know, maybe my vocab is not that strong as I think it is. I could not think of any other word in English, which is widely used and has Chi sound in it. Like, uh, I don't know. Uh, I could not think of that in, in the moment. So I was like, okay, Chipotle is there. And it is actually the chi, which is in Hindi, like my name is chi. So it's in Chipotle. So yeah, that's how Chipotle came in. Okay. And so, I remember you calling me Chipotle in one conversation. I yeah, literally laughed that day. So is there Chipotle <laughs> restaurants in India or you talking about Chipotle, the actual pepper? No, I have, I don't know about like any restaurant in, uh-huh. in about Chipotle. Maybe there might be. I have not explored it yet. So I there's a, it's, 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 huge one of, it's one of the best, like, so all across North America, there's a chain uh-huh. of restaurants. It's called Chipotle. And it's, okay. you can imagine, you can imagine it's like Subway and you just walk in and you just tell them what you want on, on a burrito and they'll like make the burrito like on demand for you. It's so good. Um, but okay. you know, you know what else has a chi sound? Chi, so Prachi, chi as in cheese. No, that, I don't think that, that works. Uh, cheese cheese no but you know the 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 moment you say cheese i think she is cheese i think it's more you know elongated pronunciation than the chi like it is not prachi it's prachi it's like not long but not short either i don't know cheese is like cheese i think it's elongated pronunciation okay. of chi. I buy it. So let's go <laughs> to random... Thanks for the suggestion. Yeah. Let's go to a random question generator. So we got, who sure. inspires you to be better? My professor, Shijin Shandakumar, who is from Pondicherry University. Every single day, he inspires me to be better. He's an awesome person. I love it. I think for me, that'd be Thank my... You. For me, who inspires me to be better would be my, my baby, Jagad, my little son. He inspires me to be better. That's... That's nice. If you lost all of your possessions, but one, what would you want it to be? Okay, this is a tough choice, but I think I would save my mobile because it has majority of my documents. I can access my documents and my work, which is on G Drive. So yes, my mobile. That's the only one position I can, I can manage with. So yeah, yes. Tough one for me to think about, right? So, like, I wouldn't mind if I lost <laughs> my laptop because all my stuff is on the cloud, anyways, right? So that's so if, like, my laptop went to shit, then I have the cloud storage. Like, I don't think there's like one particular possession that I'm that strongly attached to, but I guess if it had to be one, it would be uh, 
wedding ring that one oh that's super super cute yeah okay that's super cute oh, thank you <laughs> what are so who are some of your heroes uh you're talking about real life right uh, just whatever your definition yes. is of hero okay uh, so heroes yes for me the heroes would be my mother and mm, my father i would not count him as uh, not to sound really mean or something but my mother would be my hero shijin would be my hero you know for so and aslam would be one because he is really 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 amazing friend and he inspires me to uh, be more myself so yeah i have a lot to learn from these three people in particular so i've been listening to this uh, so one of my favorite artists is akira the don and he's phenomenal he does this interesting thing, thing where he'll take uh, bits and pieces of people's talks and will make albums out of them so for example he's taken talks from like david goggins and interviews with David uh-huh. Goggins and made it into an album. He's taken interviews with uh-huh. Naval, Naval Ravikant and made that into an album. And recently he did one with Joe Rogan. He took Joe Rogan's like talks and saying and turned it into an album. And one of the songs on the album is called uh, Be the Hero and it's essentially Joe Rogan is is it's a speech that Joe Rogan did where he talks about you have to be the hero of your own story. um so since that is like been on repeat in my mind the last couple of months mm-hmm. i i think some of my like i definitely would think that i am my own hero just because of the probability that i would have achieved this much success in life given where i was in high school was very slim that is that is excellent and now when you have brought it up i think i need need to give myself the credit i so yes i uh, going along your talk i also think that i can be my hero i should be actually given the place i am from good lord so yes i'll send a, send you a link to the song and i'll send a, i'll put a link in the show notes uh, to that track as well definitely okay what's something you wish you'd figured out sooner judging people better um i think that my track record of um, being with people is biased from my perspective so i think that i am um, not i don't think i am a giver so if i you are close to me or even if i know you need something i will try my best in the world to get it for you or to get it done or to arrange people and you know there are so many stories on linkedin where i talk how it hurt me real real bad so i think that i should have figured uh, you know understanding people better that not everyone is a giver like me so some people just drain you out of energy of resources and of everything you are as a person and that is like i think you can that's the worst thing you can do to yourself when you are with a person who is uh, i don't know you can call it taken from jonas brothers who is sucker but not for you <laughs> it's he, he or she just drains you out of every every resource you count as a person so i think this i should have figured it out sooner i think because i did have horrible experiences yeah i think you also this. book by adam grant has a book called uh, give and take where he talks about two different types of personality well, there's three different types there's the givers the takers and the matchers um and okay it actually ends up that you know the givers are the ones that will end up becoming prosperous and then doing more with their life so i think it's a good um stance that you adopted for yourself there uh something i wish i would have figured out sooner um and there's a couple of things the first thing for sure is this idea of the growth mindset i think i okay uh huh i wish i would have came across that um in high school like i don't know if that concept was floating around back then maybe it was but i wish that i had come across that sooner and the other one is that i actually don't i could actually like a thought can come into my head and i don't have to follow the thought i don't have to take it as truth i don't have to accept it i can actually pause and choose make a conscious choice that this thought can i can have that be a part of my belief system i could wave it off like it doesn't have to influence the downstream progressions of thoughts that i have after that uh uh-huh. i actually was talking very similar something with one of my friend but yeah that's that's uh, that's something you already said so let's move on Studio, i i don't yeah. want to block the flow yeah no worries this is the last one here uh well that's a repeat one uh what is your theme song mm, my theme song like uh, we are talking about uh, you know a song which i can identify as explains me something like that right yeah 
Yeah. Uh, this is actually a very difficult question. Since the, why I'm having this difficulty, I'll tell you one. I'll confess one thing. I am a music lover, but the thing is, I don't pay much attention to the lyrics. So majority of the times. I am listening to music but I do not uh, pay very much attention to what the singer is singing so that is why I never count myself as a music enthusiast and I am one of those persons thousands of songs in the phone but I never write it in my CV that I listen because I cannot tell you things about the songs I listen to but one thing this theme song would be uh, scars to your beautiful yeah okay. I think that would be the theme song. I don't know if I have one theme song for the entire life, but I guess recently the theme song I would be uh I, I would say it's it's uh, another Akira the Dawn track, Akira the Dawn mm-hmm. and and David Goggins and it's called On the mm-hmm. Other Side is Greatness. So Okay. If you can get through doing things that you hate to do, On the Other Side is Greatness. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's quite meaningful. And um, as as you were talking about this i i reminded uh, I, i it just came to my mind that there is this new song by bts which is called stay gold so okay. it is about uh, you know in a uh, this, the literal first sentence is like in a world where everything is cold you got to stay gold so basically like as bts itself stands for you know, a lot of uh, what preserving ourselves rather than getting swayed away by whatever the world is trying to make us so i think that also will be my theme song because i have been continuously fighting literally everything in my life to remain the way i am i have changed a lot but i think it's more of a growth than literal change so i don't think i gave up to too many things in my life so i think that will be my uh, you know Uh, theme song second right. theme song i like it so i guess if i had a second theme song it would still be a care of the dawn and D- david goggins it'd be called taking souls because you know you just got to take the soul of whatever the fuck is in front of you and just get through it um prachi chipotle talker thank you so much for <laughs> taking time out of your schedule to be on the show today i really appreciate you coming and talking about your research and sharing your experiences uh thank you and thank you harpreet hipcat harpreet <laughs> you were saying you uh, you would like to be called that since your family voted for that name thank you for having me it was uh, such an honor and such a uh, you know uh, good avenue for me to talk first thing second to interact and to learn i have always learned a lot from you and uh, this is i i'll tell you more good things about yourself in, in your linkedin message because i you actually have been quite resourceful and your kind is the kind i think everyone on linkedin should be you know when you share resources you have meaningful conversations and you know you grow and so yes hipcatter preet Thank you. You yes. are the, you know, the musket of good LinkedIn person. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, and it's scientifically proven, no sample bias whatsoever that I am the hippest cat in data science, everybody. So just so everybody knows. Yes, I I do remember the voters, so I do not have doubt in that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks again. I really appreciate this and it was a great time. Thank you so much.